You guys ready to get into the Word of God? If you'd like to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand. We'll loan you one of ours. But it's always good to bring your own or look in the book or your phone app or whatever it is uh, that, you know, however you carry your Bible. But it is good to look and it is good to know. And in praying, it just seemed really good today to talk about uh, entering God's best, how to do that. You know, is it an accident when good happens in our life? Is, is it God's design uh, or, you know, does God just choose some people, you know, because he's sovereign and so he chooses to bless some and others he chooses not to bless? Uh, you know, that's a good question because, you know, uh, if, if you hear, you know, in the church world, you're going to push two forms of opinions and and some may be hyper on one side or push too far on another. But really, what does the Bible say? And that should shape our opinion. And so turn with me to Proverbs 26. This may be an odd scripture to start with, but we're talking about entering into God's best. Do I have a role to play into entering God's best? Or, or is it just like a, you know... Uh, an accident when these things happen. Um, where did I tell you to turn? Good, because I'm in Psalm 26, and I'm like, that is not the verse. But this gives you time, right, to get there. You're like, we're already there. But, uh, you know, in the church world, there's going to be a lot of opinions, and the opinions that count uh, are the ones that are formed out of the Bible, and, and we're always growing, we should be. We, we don't come to a conclusion of having all the answers, you know, after we've been saved 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Paul, who was used to write two-thirds of the New Testament, when he got the end of his life, he said, I'm still learning. That should put us all in check. We should all be learning and growing and be teachable. Because if you're not teachable and you think you know everything, you close your ears to what is said because pride does that and pride is a great blinder of truth. And, uh, and so a lot of things may be more in our hands than we realize as individuals and as believers. Maybe the Lord has put more into our hands than we think and is God a sovereign God? Yes. What does that mean? He's all-powerful. But has he set up rules that he won't even violate himself? We know that that would be true. Because we all wish he would have stopped Adam and Eve from doing what, what they did. You know? You know? You ever get around some believers that are like, the first person I'm going to see and talk to when I get to heaven is Adam and Eve. I'm telling you what? But if we were in Adam and Eve's shoes too, we might have done exactly what Adam and Eve did and maybe quicker and maybe not taken a bite, maybe ate the whole thing. You know what I mean? So we don't want to judge. We do recognize he did put a lot of authority in their hands. He gave them instructions how to live a blessed life with him and they made a different choice. That's powerful. Did choice disappear? 
God made it so all humanity could come to know him. What's wild is part of the world coming to know him is based on those who already know him. Meaning, if we don't share the gospel, they don't get faith. And without faith, you can't receive salvation. God left that to man to do. And so, but then, once a person hears, uh, they have to accept it. So really, a lot of the control of things are left in man's hands. Are you with me? Everybody alive and well? This is going to be a good one. Proverbs, we're talking about do we have a part to play into entering into God's best? And, and, and is it more simple than we know? Uh, or, or do we have a part to play? Proverbs 26, verse, no guesses, verse 2. Like a flitting sparrow, or flighting sparrow, and a flying sparrow, and it's talking about birds taking different paths and doing different things. And even landing. Notice it says, So a curse without a cause does not come. So he's basically saying birds are going to fly around, if you look at different translations, but they won't just land on you. And he said, Just like birds flying around don't land on you, uh, so the curse won't come upon a person unless there's a cause to the curse. That's an interesting thing. And it's interesting that he used birds. You know, if a bird came and landed on you, uh, what would you do? The first reaction of most people is they'll start flailing their arms thinking, I don't want this thing on me. Others would think, oh, that's kind of cool. But it's not a normal thing. It's not the course. And he said, the curse, and we can, you can look yourself at what the Bible talks about a curse being. Deuteronomy 28 talks about all different areas, spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, financial things being a, a, a curse. And he said, without a cause, they don't land on a person. So that means there can be a cause. Now, understand this. We live in a fallen world. This world is not the way God intended it in the beginning until, you know, when Adam and Eve fell, there were some changes that happened. And uh, Satan... Uh, started having more rule. Matter of fact, if you read in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Bible in the New Testament says Satan is the God, lowercase g, of this world. And you see in the temptation of Jesus, now these were real temptations. Why would he be called the God of this world? Why, why would that term be used? When Jesus was being tempted one time, and we can see a lot in this temptation where uh, he said, Satan said to him, I don't know if it was a thought or how it was exactly, but he said, if you bow down and worship me, literally means submit and obey me, 
uh, I will give you all that you see because it has been given unto my hands. Well, was he lying or telling the truth? Or when did it become in his hands? When Adam and Eve sinned, that's why when Jesus went to cast the devil out of one person one time, he said, the devil answered back and said, have you come to torment us before the time? Meaning somehow they know they have a right to be here. Where did they get that privilege? Was it through Adam and Eve's sin and opening the door for the enemy to get some kind of rule? Isn't it interesting when Jesus died and rose again, he said, behold, I got back the keys or the thing of authority concerning death, hell, and the grave. Why did he need to get it back? When did, when did the enemy end up getting that? Well, when man died in that day in the book of Genesis, spiritual death took hold in him. In other words, when we look at people in the world, we need to recognize the spiritual part of them is dead. That does not mean they cease to exist. Death is not ceasing to exist. Death is a state of being. Now, physically, we, we know what death is, but I'm talking spiritually. In the day you eat, you shall surely die. The day they ate, they died. What happened was it broke fellowship with God. They lost that life that was in them. Isn't it interesting? Jesus came to give that life back. I have come that you might have life. He's not just talking about an outward existence of life. He's talking about getting spiritual life from God in a person. Being born again is not just your sins forgiven because then you would still be the same old person you once were. And you could have got your sins forgiven in the Old Testament. The New Testament is a better covenant. You come alive to God. You get His life in you. He recreates you. He makes you new. But we still live in a fallen world where there are curses all around us. And it's interesting in the New Testament, it often talks about being an overcomer and in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, and so, is there something we can do to get rid of the cause of the curse? If it doesn't come without a cause, do I have a part to play in getting rid of the cause? Are there things that I can do that would uh, close the door, so to speak, to something happening? Or is there something I can do to open the door? Isn't it interesting in the New Testament, the way they would talk to believers, they would say things like this, like in Ephesians 4, don't give place to the devil. That means somebody could give place to the devil. It, that's not an obscure, weird statement that we should be afraid of. That means we must have authority over him to not be able to give him a place. In other words, if the devil's working, that's a curse. Right? 
And we recognize that the devil does promote his thing and wants things. You know, even in that same temptation, I've said this before, you can see it's true that when he said, bow to me and I'll give you this, you can know who Satan's candidate is, who he wants in a political office. The one who bows to him. Why? Because Satan just can't come in and take over. Who does God want in, in office? The same one Satan wants. Not, you know what I mean. Meaning Satan wants the one that bows to him. God wants the one who bows to him. And so, it does it automatically happen? Or is this just part of God's plan? Or did he say, as believers, you have authority to pray, not talk bad about, even though we see a bunch of junk happening, but we have a right to pray for kings and all those who are in authority that we have such an influence that, think about it, he said, you could turn things and live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. He wrote that to Timothy, and it's written to us. So isn't it interesting that what if the church falls asleep at the wheel and doesn't pray? Could part of the curse come upon us of a non-quiet, peaceable life in all godliness? Interesting thought. So then that means we do have the power to turn some of this to a degree. At least in our domain to have a quiet and peaceable life. Now, turning some things can be like a ship. You know, I mean, you know, they don't turn like, boom. You know, these big tankers and stuff like that, cargo ships, it can take them miles to turn. We can start praying and start influencing, and there are ways to change things. Isn't it interesting he left it in our hands? He said, if you want to live this way, do this. But can we close the door to the curse upon our life, so to speak, and like Psalm 91, the, the psalm that everybody talks about of divine protection. Isn't it interesting in there, in part of this uh, psalm, it says, it says a thousand will fall at your one side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come on you. In other words, just like the curse cannot land, like a bird just can't land on you without a cause... I mean, if you're a scarecrow, birds land on scarecrows, you know, it seems like. At least in Heckle and Jekyll, you know, the cartoon. If you're not sure about that, you'll have to look later. But, the, you know, we may think it's all up to God, but if God has already done things to set blessing in our life and we're kind of the controlling factor in it, and some people might argue that and say, how could we be the controlling factor? Probably the biggest miracle, I see no bigger one in the Bible, is being saved. And really, we're the controlling factor in that. God will not just save you without your will. 
And if he does it in that area, is it true in other areas? And can we, in the midst of watching a thousand at our one side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it not come near us, do we have a part to play in that? According to Psalm 91, if you read the context, and I would encourage you, you know, to look at it if you haven't looked at it in a while, and really slow down and look at what you're reading, he gives you instructions about how to avoid or to enter into the blessing. And he said, often I'll say of the Lord, I will say this, I will say this. But how many people are saying, we're living in a horrible world, uh, it's going to overtake all of us, you better prepare. Let me tell you this, if it does overtake us and we're walking with God, and he uh, deems that the right way to deal with it is to prepare, he will deal with you about it. Why? Didn't he do that for the children of Israel when they went into Egypt? He gave the king a dream, and through that dream, he blessed the Egyptians, and in so doing, he was preparing a blessing for all of his people to walk in, and he promoted one man, and he had been preparing that man for a long time to walk in something phenomenal. He had dreams and visions years before. All my brothers are going to bow down, and he's going on this long journey to get there, but God is preparing a blessing so that when this famine hits the world, his people will be prepared. He'll do the same thing to you. We don't need to panic by. You with me? But if he did deal with you, then you go down that path. If not, we can follow his leading, follow him and trust his word and act on the word and walk in his blessing. Amen? The curse without a cause will not land on you. Will not. Somebody said, well, I'm seeing some curse. Then, then we just need to ask God, what's the cause? If Christ has redeemed us, Galatians 3.13, from the curse of the law, so that the blessing that was on Abraham would come upon us, well, what's the cause? Because Christ has already done something about it. I mean, we would, we would deduce this if we knew somebody who was lost and they were living a sinful life. We would not try to tell them, hey, live a better life. We would know the cause is they don't have eternal life. They receive Jesus, they're going to get delivered. We, we have enough sense to recognize that there's a cause to their problem we should look and go, is there a cause? Is there leakage, so to speak? And, and do I have a part to play? Turn to Joshua 1.8. And I don't want to really look at this whole verse, but there's a part of it because we're talking about, is there a way to uh, keep the curse from coming? Now, like I said, living in the world, the curse is going to attempt at times. Just like you can be saved and there will be things that will make an attempt at your life just because we live in a world, you know, that's fallen. Jesus never sinned and he was tempted. Are you with me? Just because we're in a fallen world. But do you notice the curse did not come on him? 
Joshua 1 verse 8. It says, this book of the law, or the Bible, or the scripture, shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate or ponder it in it day and night, that you may observe to do. That you may observe to do. That you may observe to do. One of the things that is probably, in my view, when you look at the word, the biggest cure and maybe the biggest hindrance to people is acting on the word and acting like it's true. Now, now when people hear this, uh, they, you know, if, especially like when I first got saved, I would have thought if, if you said act on the word, because I didn't know much in the Bible, I, my mind would have gone immediately to, oh, you got to keep the Ten Commandments. But, but that's not what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, we're told to walk in love and we'll keep the Ten Commandments without trying. But what if he said you're alive to God and dead to sin in Christ and that you're already accepted? Then you should start acting like that. Start acting like you're dead to sin. Start thinking like you're dead to sin. If you're saved. Start thinking like I'm already loved by God. But remember, what if before the curse comes and attaches itself to you, it tries to open a door and condemn you and say, well, you're not accepted. And then if I don't act like I'm accepted, I open the door and I live under guilt and shame when I shouldn't be and the curse has landed in that area. And how did it happen? It got incubated in my mind by thinking, well, I'm just not good enough. I just haven't done enough. I'm not looking at Jesus. I'm not looking that he made me accepted in the beloved. Therefore, I don't act on it. And if I don't act in the areas I don't act, even if it's through ignorance, there's opportunity for the curse to come. Ready to read on? So that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. So basically he's saying, you just ponder the word of God. You, you think on it day and night. It'll get you to the place where you'll start acting on it. He said, when you act on what is written, he said, for then, notice this, for then, then what? And we're talking about how to have God's blessing on your life. And really, one of the biggest areas is, is a failure to act in line with the Word of God. If I worry, I'm not acting in line with the Word of God. If, if God deals with me about something and I don't act on it, I'm failing to act on the Word of God. But notice what he said. If I act on it, he said, then you... Who? God? No. You will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice it's connected with the word, but 
it's connected with me acting. So if I don't act when I know to act, do I delay blessing? It's not God delaying. It would be me delaying. And we live in a world that will tell you it's okay to do it tomorrow, but I don't know if I want to wait till tomorrow. You know, the children of Israel, remember, go in there, you tell Pharaoh, and the frogs are there, and he could have obeyed, and he's like, no. So he spent another day with the frogs, all of them. And it wasn't like they had a pet frog. It was a plague or, you know, a problem. But when, as soon as they obeyed, the things would lift. But then he lied about it, and then another thing would come. But when, when people obey, he said they make their own way prosperous. This is God's design. And then he said they make their way to have good success. Notice the control there is on the man or the woman Though it's in, it has to be things in line with his word. Turn to James 1. James has always been a fascinating book to me. Probably one of my favorite ones early on. And, uh, you know, you could look at this book and you could be harsh or you could look at it and, you know, you can get a lot of opinions out of this book. James. Oh boy, can you. But really, it's the only book in the New Testament written and inspired by a pastor to a church that God used. None of the other ones, they were written by apostles, people who traveled. This is the guy who's living with them day in and day out. You know, one of my first experiences with the book of James, I'd been barely saved or I'd given my life to the Lord, and I remember reading, you know, if you're in fraction of one part, you're in fraction of all. You know, if you've done one, it's like you did a thousand times. And I remember the first person I got to witness to, I basically told them, you know, hey, you talk about people and like they're a prostitute, they're a whore, because they sleep around with people. I said, if you've done it once, you look like a whore too. I'll have a little more wisdom now. Just saying. If I told you who it was, you'd go. This is my girlfriend at the time. She wasn't saved. I didn't, you know, I read that and I'm like, there it is. We're all guilty. We need a savior. And God doesn't look at them worse than he looks at us when we're lost. But he looks at us as accepted. But there is a lot of wisdom in this book, too, if you just look at it, you know, from the perspective of the whole Bible. James 1.25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues. Remember what we just read in Joshua? Day and night he meditates in the word. He thinks in line with it. Here he said he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. In other words, he keeps his attention there. And notice what it says. And he's not a forgetful hearer. And remember, if you 
uh, meditate in it enough and keep your mind there, he said, then you'll observe to do, then you'll make your way prosperous. Here he said, continue in it, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work or acts. Because some people think, oh, I got to work, I got to work. No, you, you act in line with it. He said, this one will be blessed in what he does. Or his actions will allow for blessing. In other words, it will drive off any opportunity from the curse landing on our lives. So I'm going to say a couple of things and move on. Faith, the Bible said, is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is simply acting on the word of God. So if, if he says I'm clean, I resist thoughts that say I'm not clean and I act like I'm clean. If he said it, if he said I'm loved, I'm loved. If he says you are accepted, you're accepted. If he said he's for you, he's for you. And you start acting like it. And don't go around telling people, yeah, you know, I know he loves them more than he loves me. That's not true. He, he doesn't love one child more than another. Somebody said, oh, he probably loved Paul and Peter more. No, they just had more responsibility. He didn't love them anymore. God so loved the world, some more than others, that he gave his only begotten son. No, he loved the whole world, period. And the Bible said he loved us while we were yet sinners. So isn't it odd that some people would allow thoughts into their life that God loves me less now that I'm saved than when I was a sinner? That's opening the door to get your cage rattled. We'll keep going. If God says something in his word, it is absolute. Any believer knows this to be true deep down. And therefore, it can be acted on. This is one of the things the disciples learned. They didn't have great power on their own to go cast out devils and to pray for people. They just trusted when Jesus said, go do it. It was as equivalent to God's word. Now, that's written, and therefore we can go act on it. Are you with me? And, and we see that's exactly what happened with Peter. When he went to walk on the water until he got distracted, he just accepted at face value what God said, and he began to walk on the water. And notice the control of the miracle was totally on Peter. Once he had the word, he began to walk until he got his focus on the wrong thing, and then he began to sink. And then notice what Jesus said. Why did you doubt? Why did you get so fearful? Why did you quit acting on the word? Because it, it was on him at that point to walk in the blessing. But I'm glad that the Bible shows us the failure so we can know how not to repeat it. And if we do repeat it, uh, the key there is get our attention off the storms and the problem and get them back on the Lord. Do you know that alone is acting on the word? And we know that that can be a battle. 
God's word is his word. This book is his book. We can treat it like that. And if we can treat it like that, and we do treat it like that, we can put all our weight on it in ways that maybe we were intimidated before. What are we talking about? Not having the curse uh, without a cause. Often the cause of the curse is failure to act on the word. To really act. I mean, what if all the disciples would have said, Lord, we want to do what Peter's doing. He said, come, 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 come. And, and then if they didn't come, uh, they, they would have still been in the boat. They still would have had the integrity of God's word that would have held them up. But I'll tell you what, maybe their legs started aching. You ever had that? I'll explain. I remember one time I was in Central America on a mission trip, and we had had a group, and the group left, and I stayed over to do some stuff, and they took me to this, this uh, it looked like just a hilly area, but it was rock on the bottom, and there was, you know, 15, 20 feet, some areas 40 feet, just vertical down to water. And then... Uh, their son-in-law, our future son-in-law is there, and he's like, let's jump in. So he goes to this area that's like 30 feet. I'm thinking, no. I don't know what's down there. And then so he goes, well, let's go over here. And he went, we, he went down and checked and then came back out. So it was plenty deep enough. But when I went to jump, it was amazing how my head went. We need to do this. And I couldn't just go, hi-ya. It was like, I, I like fell in. You know, it felt like my legs got heavy. They just didn't want to do it. And what if Jesus said, come? There's nothing under your feet. Your natural mind is going to argue. If it's not been sufficiently renewed, you're going to have a tough time because you're going to be fighting your, your feelings, your emotions, because... How, how many of us have walked on water this week, this year, this life? But it is doable, but the problem is people can live so in the natural and so according to their feelings, uh, they, they don't act. And if we can step out over that aching void, like the late Lillian B. Yeomans, who is a tremendous Bible teacher, said if we can step out over that aching void with nothing under our feet but the Word of God, you're on course to open the door to some pretty incredible things. So, therefore, faith is acting, and unbelief is not acting on the Word. What's the cure for unbelief? Once you have knowledge... Act. If you don't have knowledge, then you have to have knowledge. Once you've got knowledge, you can act. And if it really is God's word, and it is, then you don't have to muster a bunch of faith. Because if it is God's word, it has the power itself. It has heaven behind it. We don't teach people to muster up enough faith once they've heard the truth about salvation. We expect them to act on it. Give their life to the Lord. Receive Him. We act as though it is so. 
because we're acting on his word, which is so. That can be an achy place for a person who has been a, a chipmunk Christian, is my term, for a while. It can be an achy place, because you know what a chipmunk does. You ever fed chipmunks? They just gather, and they run off. They don't, they don't always eat what they're gathering. They're not, they just go put it all over the place for later. But as Christians, we're not to just gather scriptures and gather scriptures. We don't want to get in the habit of just gathering scriptures and having them all over the place and then failing to act. Lord, show us where to act. Because if we're like that, you know, we could be gathering, but does the nutrition really help the chipmunk that doesn't eat? No. They can gather and we can go, whoa, that was awesome, but we need to act. Remember we read the verse? The doer of the word causes blessing. The curse without a cause will not come. Could it be that the simplest thing of action is needed to uh, make the curse fly away in a person's life or not be lighted upon them? So think of this. So the basis of faith then is knowledge if faith is agreeing with the Word of God. So the basis to these, this opening the door is seen there in James. Reading the Word, looking at the Word, thinking in line with the Word, same thing in Joshua, and then observing to participate in it by acting on it. Then you'll be blessed and your life will have blessing. Because think of it. Everything God asks anybody to do is connected to good and blessing. Anything the enemy asks somebody to do, it says it might look like pleasure for a season, but after it will produce a horrible harvest. Somebody said, I'm getting away with it. No. And, and, and you don't get away with it one way or the other. You can't act on the word and get away with not being blessed because he said in due season you will reap. So if the basis to faith is knowledge, we know that because Romans says faith comes by hearing when we hear God's word. Romans 10, 17. But it says not everybody believed the word. Believing is acting. Believing is acting. Mark 16 tells us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The one who believes is the one who acts, and it said they'll be saved, they'll walk in it. The other one who does not act will not walk in it. It says they will be damned. Think of the control of that. Humanity needs humanity to share the word because it gives them knowledge and then they have to act on it to participate in God's design. Interesting, isn't it? And so true believing is acting. If God ever deals with me and I see something and he starts dealing with me, true faith is acting. I am putting myself in a position of something unchangeable with such power 
that will cause blessing to be upon my life and come into my life. And it doesn't matter the climate of the world around you. It doesn't. So we have a place in faith for others. We have a place for it in ourselves to, to look at the scripture, but then act. Let's close over here in James 2. Or maybe over here in James 2. I may read one more verse. James 2, verse 18. James 2, verse 18. It says, verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now let me read this in, in another translation. The international standard says, but someone may say, you have faith and I have actions. Because it's tricky when you hear the word works because some people think, oh, you got to work. No, he's talking about actions. David had actions when he said God's going to deliver him and then he marched right at the giant. He said, show me your faith without any actions. And he said, and I will show you my faith by my actions. He was basically saying, because it says, faith without a corresponding action is actually dead being alone. In other words, it doesn't bring the results you or I would desire. So if I really believe, I act. So we could just act without any feelings. Because we're acting in line with his word. Let's go back to Proverbs 26, and I believe we will close here. We'll look at this and look at it in light of a, of a story that probably all of us are familiar with. Because the question would need to be asked then, could I delay blessing in my life, or could I get the blessing going in my life uh, quicker by my own choices. So remember Proverbs 26 and the last part, you know, talking about a bird flying and a bird, bird going different places and it says, you know, it won't just land or do certain things, but it says at the last part, so a curse or the curse without a cause shall not alight or land upon you. And uh, I think a great illustration of this is the children of Israel. God had told them, I have a blessing for you. I have a promised land totally set aside. And I know a lot of people think, oh, this is a picture of heaven. But when we go to heaven, we're not going to have to overcome giants and walls and so it has to be more of a picture of the earth. Salvation has to be a picture of them coming out of Egypt. And then this has to be a picture of people entering into God's best after they've given their life to him. And we know that the first group of people, it said they couldn't enter in because of their unbelief. 
Their unbelief, literally, if you read in Hebrews, they would not act on what God said. But isn't it interesting that 40 years later, so they, they had blessing, but it sure was not. They had curse and junk too. It sure wasn't God's best. But what's interesting is the younger generation finally acted on what God said and they entered in to the blessing that God intended 40 years before. How, how did it get delayed? Was it God's timing? No, because God said, go up at once. I'm giving you the land. And a bunch of them said, we can't do it. Two of them said, we can. Those are the only two that lived to go in. Notice, it was God's design for them to possess it, but it took them acting on the truth. What if our thinking needs to be adjusted in this area and instead of saying, God bless me and I don't ever act on the truth, could I force it? Or is it really forcing it? Or is it like the person owns the spigot? You know, the little thing on the side of your house, you turn it on and off and that's in your control. The water is already supplied. The blessing is already there. The provision is already there, but we just have to act on it, act in line with it. And if we do, we enter in. It would be good to say, God, if, if there's an area where I'm not acting, show me. Why? Because he wants you to enter in. He didn't provide these things just so you, when you get to heaven, he provided things so when you're here, you could live in peace. You could have direction. You could live in a full life down here. Doesn't mean you won't have persecution, but it does mean that there is a, a life of substance.